Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Peter Grosskopf, who is the CEO of Sprott Inc. This one is dedicated to retail investors. Are you equipped to make equities investments? What are the options available to you if you're not? How do you blend your portfolio investment approach? What's happening in the marketplace since we last spoke? And what is his view on the outlook? Enjoy the podcast. Peter, how are you doing, sir? Great. Great to uh, talk to you again. I know. It's uh, it's been so long, been nearly, but just over a month, just over a month. But a lot has been happening, so I think it's uh, a very very timely interview. Um, but look, again, for people new to your story, uh, we had a great, by the way, great response to your last interview. So thank you for that. But for anyone new to the story, can you give us that one minute overview of the business? Well, Sprout is uh, our vision is to be the uh, leading asset management firm in the world at precious metal investing. Uh, we started from a point of philosophy, which is really that gold was a mandatory part of, of people's portfolios. And we took a look at it and said, not all investors are the same. We need different strategies within the gold universe to appeal to investors. Some are more risk averse, some like the high octane and others just like bullion. So we tried to design our whole firm around products and investment strategies and people. I mean, the most important asset in our company is its people. And um, we, tr we tried to design portfolios within the gold business that, that um, deliver a very specific outcome to investors. And, and, that's, and we, we, we see it as a global business, so we're a global firm. And um, you know, it took a long time to take e even our business which has been in existence now for 40 years and um and build it into its its current form okay Th thanks for the breakdown um we were talking just before we we kicked off here and just reminding ourselves what we talked about last time and i was saying i was saying to you the bit of the conversation i really enjoyed last week was talking about how you kind of deconstructed the business and then built it up again having sort of originally been built around superstar fund manager uh, type mm -hmm. approach to actually being a bit more process driven. And I think you've just done the next iteration of this. You've listed in the US. What was your thinking? Why did you want to do that? Well, it is a, a bit of a, a crowning achievement, if you will. Um, but more importantly, it's all about our clients and our shareholders. Um, we were large enough, we had enough momentum to, in our opinion, support the NYSE listing. But also, um, our clients uh, are mostly in the US. They're mostly based in US dollars. Our investments are mostly based in US dollars. Having Canadian dollar expenses helps our business, but reporting in Canadian dollars and Canadian dollars only increased the volatility of our business to US dollar investors. And in addition, those clients that knew us, knew a little bit about us, were increasingly starting to ask, well, of all the precious metal strategies we could employ, we kind of like Sprott's business. And, and you know, we have a, a unique dividend and, and cash flow um, profit that's derived from gold management. So how do we participate? And those investors, many of them, don't want to change currencies, aren't 
you know, in, in as efficient as an institution when they change from U.S. dollars to Canadian dollars. So we knew we needed the platform in the U.S. We know we needed U.S. dollar accounting. We know we needed a U.S. dollar share price. And the last part of it is that for our smallest clients, it's hard for them to get approvals to buy an international stock um, on occasion. And so it's just easier to process a ticket for an NYSE listed company. It puts us in good standing with companies like Franco Nevada and you know, Barrick and Newmont to, to be able to attract that investor base. So that it's quite interesting because when you go and do an NYSE listing, it's condi- usually conditional. There's a bunch of conditions uh, precedent. You also need to make some decisions uh, about which sorts of exchanges, which sorts of funds you want to attract. Sticking with the institutional side, I think we'll talk about retail in a second. So w- what were those considerations before you kind of press the button? Well, uh, you need a, a minimum share price. Um, both to support the listing and uh, we think to attract certain kinds of institutions to your equity. And so um, we needed to do a consolidation. And again, the timing was right for that. We, we felt strong enough. You, usually consolidations work well if you're doing that into strength and um, have the opposite effect if you're doing it into weakness. So um, we just thought it was the right time to attract uh, a different uh, tier of institutions and also margin investors, w- which also depend on who also depend on uh, you know, having a certain share price to attract margin. Okay. It, it, it was just the right combination for us. And it's early days, but are you yeah. having those conversations? Did you have those conversations going in to kind of inform your decision making about how to structure it? We, we knew that it would be an attractive... Uh, move. We we did get a response right away. We've seen it in our trading. Um, we haven't done a roadshow or investor meetings yet, and we're just about to start that. We have a quarter coming up um, on August, uh, early August. For, for I believe it's the second week in August, actually. So we, we we're in a bit of a, a blackout period. But once we finish our blackout, we'll we'll be meeting with new investors and uh, mostly, of course, uh, remotely and. <laughs> doing the same type of interview as this. Okay. And again, with, with that, is it going to be more of the same? I.e., you've, you've refined your products, you've got the products which, which you've constructed over the years, what you've got today, or having access to these bigger ticket writers, these bigger funds who want to place more capital, is that going to allow you to build different types of products moving forward? Well, that's a, a separate trend, separate from our listing as well. We think that large institutions are increasingly allocating towards gold. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll draw an outlier to your attention. So um, Lombard, the, the Swiss uh, private client organization, I heard recently increased their gold allocations to 9%. As an institution, that's a big move. And to move those kinds of... Um, volumes of of, at, uh, of dollars into our sector requires us to think about new products, separately managed accounts. And yes, we, we are designing new products for the larger investors as we speak. And you know, you have been operating as a kind of category of one in a way. Your focus has always been natural resources, right? It gave you an edge. Um, moving up, it gets you know it gets harder to come up with new products, it gets harder to deploy capital. Uh, you're going to have to find new types of not just products, but deals to do. Um, 
is there more competition or do you think you still you know have that edge well there's more competition in precious metals because the money is starting to flow in now retail investors are coming back generalists are coming back the gold funds themselves aren't really attracting a lot of uh, sector specific capital mutual funds as a whole are just not that popular anymore but what we see is uh, institutions, when they move the larger capital into the sector, they need either specific hedging strategies or specific bullion management, or they, they are looking at private asset ownership. So we've seen some large moves where institutions have come in and bought you know, chunky blocks of projects and companies to own them for the long term. And I think increasingly that kind of thing is going to happen. Okay. Right. I've been slightly selfish because that was the bit that I loved from our previous conversation. I I need to bring it back to what people, hundreds of people have been writing in about, which was the the discussion around the economy. You know, we we talked about the the problems around quantitative easing. It's like distrust you have over a big government uh, and the fact that it's, you know, creating debt levels, which we'll never really be able to pay, you know, in a conventional sense, never be able to repay them. So um, we talked about hedging. Okay, hedging is something that people sort of heard, and not many people, many people think about. Not many people understand what it means or how they go about doing it. Uh, not necessarily technically literate, and slightly put off as a result. So, do you mind? Can we talk about some of the options available to people? Like, and I say, you know, we'll try not to make this a kind of sprout infomercial because I think, you know, I think people I don't want people accusing us of that because this is not a pre-planned pre uh, conversation. So. Obviously, Sprott has some products uh, available. So in a general sense, can you talk about some of the things that retail investors should be considering uh, and why? Okay, well, I think the larger topic conversation is more important than the conversation about Sprott or even the products that that you can buy. Um, The larger conversation is that we're in absolutely unprecedented times and I'm, I'm talking not just from a an economic or a health and safety you know uh, aspect which is well covered by the media every day um, but from a monetary and a wealth perspective and in fact talking about the whole capitalist system we're in an unprecedented time um, in fact you might say capitalism as it's been defined in the past, doesn't exist anymore. And the reason it doesn't exist is because the government has come in to control the system. They're printing unprecedented amounts of money. They have no you know, legitimate accounting that they can rely on. So they call it mon- modern monetary theory or yield curve control or whatever else these acronyms are. The bottom line is it's just a massive scale experiment in how much money can we print to control the markets in the way we want them controlled. And look, it it can have short term beneficial effects. But for most of us, we're looking at it and saying, "Okay, this thing is rapidly spiraling out of control there. And you look no further than the mandate of the Federal Reserve. Okay, there is no constitutional or legal basis that they have the right to buy stocks and bonds, and yet they're doing it. 
Okay, what is more out of control than that? They're breaking the law in order to control the system. Anyway, don't want to get on a soapbox. Don't want to start lecturing, you know, the great economists of, of all time that that sort of have, have um, kind of talked about this in the past. But this is off the charts. So against that, the stock market's rallying and it's rallying for some probably some good reasons. Uh, the bond markets are doing well and they're doing well for some good reasons. And you might say, if you're an average investor, but everything looks okay to me, I, I can deploy my funds in this kind of market and I'm okay. And the answer to that is no, you're definitely not okay. And the reason you're not okay is because nobody has a clue where this is gonna go. And it could go into massive deflation. It could go into massive inflation. There could be massive destruction of wealth. There could be massive creation of wealth. But the bottom line is the capitalist system as we know it doesn't work anymore. And the reason it doesn't work is because governments are overriding it with their own policies. So when we talk about a hedge, it's, it's kind of a dirty word because hedge became you know, associated with hedge funds and hedge funds became associated with all sorts of complex strategies and high fees. And, you know, did it, did it actually work? Did it actually deliver value? And, you know, the, the founders of Vanguard and others obliterated the hedge fund industry because they outperformed it. So when, when we talk about the word you and I hedge, we don't actually mean that world. What we mean is, investors are forced to invest in bonds and to hold cash and to hold government issued currency they're forced to invest in stocks and what we think is they need something else beside that that it will hold its value no matter what happens to those other markets and that's where we come to gold okay it used to come to real estate so most people invested in their house as, as a way of offsetting those other markets. But now real estate is tied to interest rates, which is tied to those other markets and is also tied to economies. So what we're talking about when we say hedge is give us something safe that isn't tied to the rest of the markets, that isn't correlated, that will stand up and hold its value over time. That's what we mean by hedge. And we think the process of gold fulfilling that purpose for the broadest senses of the institutional world, the financial world, and even the house, the world of household finance, we think we're at the earliest stages, like inning number two of the process to uh, have gold provide that kind of a safety um, a, a, a safety latch for the rest of the markets and 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 so that's what we're talking about so that's nice so, so just to kind of summarize we you know, he, agree hedge one people get confused about what it means and how, how you do it so what we're saying is you got you're spreading your bets you're you're blending your portfolio investment portfolio you i like the fact you mentioned there are sort of non-correlated investments as well so if, mm -hmm. if you've got investments of all of a certain type, which we're all linked to, 
let's say in your case, you know, interest rates, for example, you go, they'll all Go-, go government, down the, actually. Government, <laughs> they'll all go down at the same time. And you're saying, well, for, in- for instance, gold, it used to be property. I, I remember property used to double every 10 years here in the UK for about 40 years. It was great. Uh, and that stopped. Um, but, you know, gold is, is a way of having a non-correlated bet, to use, to use this phrase. So let, let's let's talk, let's kind of demystify it slightly more for uh, for people. Sure. Because um, investing in gold, we, t- we talked previously, there are different ways you can do it. We can go physical, you can do, get into ETFs, you can do equities. Um, I think you can get gold notes now. I, I, I spoke to some company last week, so that's quite an interesting one. Um, so there's lots of yeah. different ways you can do it. And we spoke to the World Gold Council as well a couple of weeks ago, he, he gives a Great sort of rundown of what the options are there, but let's talk about equities because everyone thinks they can call it right. We we see we speak to a lot of gold company CEOs, and we get a lot of response from gold company investors, and some are going to get it right, some are going to get it wrong. Just by by that's the nature of it. You guys run a very sophisticated operation, have access to a lot of data, a lot of CEOs, and perhaps you know literally you know first in the queue when it comes to the, the understanding the data. Do you guys always get it right? <laughs> no. Uh, I might have mentioned this in the last interview, but in our industry, if you get it right 60% of the time, you're a star. And uh, I would say um, it's it's a little more like um, venture capital than we want it to be in that um, two out of 10 companies are going to absolutely be your stars. They're going to produce returns, not just in the hundreds of percent, but maybe even the thousands. They're going to be 10 to 20 baggers if you get them right. And against that, you've got to have four or five companies that probably muddle along and get it modestly right. And you're going to have two torpedoes. And so our job is to get off the torpedoes as fast as we can, stick with the, the two stars and to muddle along and, and try and pick the winners in, in the balance of the pack. So, and we don't get it right. And we have a team of probably, you know, five or six technically oriented portfolio managers or analysts that do nothing but look at the technicals. We have another team of six or eight financially oriented PMs that do nothing but look at the numbers and interview management teams. We have executives, we have people on the ground, we have people seeing mine sites and, you know, doing everything that you need to do. And that's our day-to-day reality. We don't get it right. But you get it much more than you get it wrong, you know. But it's, it's just a really business. I, it, it is. And this is, this is where I'm going. Because again, we, we get all of these comments and feedback from retail investors every day, hundreds every day. Um, you guys have got access to all of that and you get it more right than more people more of the time. But it's hard to get it right all of the time. Right. So that, that just need people to understand that it's it's tough. Mining's tough. Um, so in terms of how people approach their portfolio, you know, having equities as your only type of investment that you know, in terms of where you place your money, perhaps isn't the smartest thing to do. It may may feel good because you're looking for these twenty baggers, but you're not going to hit them all the time. So what? No. Okay. So what's what's the reality in terms of again, without making it a sprout infomercial necessarily? You know, I'm looking for what what would you say to people in terms of the 
how they approach this blended approach to investing. What should they be looking at? What should they be, con- be considering? Because you know, when we talk, if we if we talk as, at an institutional level, you know, we you know we're we're looking at you know, you know, derivatives of options and, and futures and um, put options. You know, in, in th- that's kind of like scary scary technical. Well, for a retail person, but what's the reality for someone perhaps that hasn't got that? training or background or, or, or knowledge? I'll start from the top down and, and I'll say that for institutions or for a retail or a household investor, our advice would be the same and it's going to be stronger now than it's ever been before. Given the unprecedented times, you should have five to 10% of your liquid net worth as a minimum but potentially a, a larger portion of your net worth, so five five percent of your entire net worth, invested in precious metals as a hedge to what's going on in the balance of the markets and the balance of the world. We don't believe that fiat currency, in the form of either euros, yen, Canadian dollars, Australian dollars, or U.S. dollars is going to be a savvy place to keep your money. We think you are going to lose by having money in cash. So let's start with that. Um, five to 10%, that's that's a lot for institutions and, and it's a lot for a, a household. Institutions do have access to derivatives and options and futures. Frankly, I think that unless they're global macro traders and have a team of 20 people looking at screens all day, I don't think they add a lot of value doing that. I think it's the same advice as for a household, which is buy the bulk of that position in physical metals and do so in the cheapest, easiest way where you have 100% physical backing and where you have access to them, whether or not the person that you bought them from is going to be there next next year. So. And that's important because if the system does hit some roadblocks, you want to know that you actually own the metal. You don't have to keep it under your mattress, but you need access to it. Look, our products do that. A lot of products do that. It's The key is, do you get them at the right cost? Do you trust the person you're dealing with? Um, do you have the storage and the allocated storage? and the insurance on the storage and et cetera, et cetera, all in order in the cheapest possible way that you can buy it, sell it, get rid of it, trade it, go see it, visit it. (laughs) Those things are all important. That's our, our team does that institutions know how to do that for themselves. And that's the bulk of our recommendation for your portfolio. And then you get into specifics. You get in, as you said, specific equity strategies, specific debt strategies in the sector. And our advice on those is deal with experts because the the investment dealers, the brokers that you deal with, um, you know, they can be good people. And if you find the right one, they can certainly be your shepherd, you know, leading you into the right place. But for the most part, their incentives are related to commissions that are short term in nature. And for the most part, therefore, their outlook is very short term in nature. Um, our portfolio managers run their portfolios for years 
multiple years and sometimes even decades at a time. And they're, they're paid to deliver returns over those timeframes. So when you talk about somebody like a Neil Adjet running an early stage portfolio, okay, I said it's prime. I see every opportunity across the board that we invest in. I wouldn't think of investing in early stage equities without putting my money to work with Neil. In fact, I'm about to allocate personally, not because I've never thought of Neil as a great portfolio manager, but because I haven't been ready for early stage mining equities until about now in the cycle. I think that market's opening up now. So I wouldn't think of it without dealing with Neil because Neil's a PhD in geological science. I mean, he knows what he's talking about. He can interview these companies to depths that I could only dream of. So it's the same for liquid gold equities. Our team, you know, John Hathaway and Whitney George and all of the portfolio managers that we have, they know those liquid equities inside out. And when when I allocate, I allocate to them to, to manage those portfolios. You know, I sit on the debt side of the business. I know a lot more about mining credits and, and that type of that side of the business and you know I've, I've had 30 plus years in it so um, we, we just go to we break it down to experts running expert strategies. Tell me this you I saw an interview you did recently with regards to value investing what do you mean by value investing? Uh, I think that means that you you see a, 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 a stock or or potentially a, a credit that um, can deliver a set return either by way of cash flow or by way of um, a resource, a valuable resource that will uh, meet or exceed expectations for a long period of time. And it's available at a price that you'd be happy to pay now, you'd be happy to pay in a year, You'd be happy to buy one share. You'd be happy to buy, you know, a significant part of the company. And you're just happy with that price. And the market tends to disappear in the background when you have that kind of a situation. You just know you're buying something that that will be worth that much to you many years from now and will provide benefits over those years. And you're willing to let the, the quote, the price, the ticker price, disappear after you you buy it because you you know what you've got and the best of those situations are available when nobody else sees that value and when it's so hidden by points a b and c that you're willing to do the hard work with the company to uncover those points a b and c so that others can find out about it eventually and, and it's that value investing process that I would look to when I think about when, when we're value investing in the sector. Do you think that gets easier or harder in a gold bull run? Much harder. Yeah, I mean, everything starts to float to the, to the top and the garbage is floating just as fast, if not sometimes a lot faster than the real value because you know, when you're dealing in garbage, you you can call it anything you want. And that is usually what tends to happen. 
Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's a really important point that it's really important. I think people need to look even harder than they normally do because there's a there's a sheen put on things which perhaps if you if you dig a little bit deeper perhaps doesn't go too deep. Gold stocks are up sixty to hundred percent depending on which side of the index you're in. So it's 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 much more important now because you know the sentiment is there already and the momentum is there already so yes the, the the sky is open and these things can move quickly and provide good returns but you can also with a with a change in the sentiment or just a correction you can get waylaid by 20 30 40% and um yeah you, you do have a higher onus to know that you're investing in value yeah, it's interesting. Always be thinking about you know fundamentals, which you've just mentioned, uh, momentum, which you've just mentioned, and then I guess technicals within whichever commodity that you're uh, planning to get get stuck into. Um, it, we spoke about six weeks ago, I think six weeks ago. COVID's still doing its thing. Uh, has any of your thinking changed? Been firmed up, loosened up? Has your has your outlook changed in six weeks? Um, two things. It's um, the macro is much more supportive than I would have thought even six weeks ago. And I don't just mean COVID. I mean the amount of government intervention that we're seeing, the gross ineptitude that we're seeing in terms of handling things, the political circus that we're seeing. I mean, underlying all of that, the same economic and monetary principles just getting keep that drum keeps getting banged again and again which is more deficits more credit more kicking the can down the road more intervention in markets more we've got the fix for this and it's all going to be short term more checks going to people you know that uh, that, that need to be supported the, the whole thing is just one massive can kicking exercise and it's getting bigger all the time so that side of it has me thinking, boy, gold, whereas I said before, gold's going to break 2000. I mean, actually, now that, that, that looks like a very conservative forecast. That's where I was going next. That's where I was going next. Have you brought your forecast forward? Against that, the sentiment on gold, I mean, gold's been going up every day against the stock market that's going up almost every day. And I feel like gold has outperformed and on the sentiment indicators and on the commitment of traders and on the you know the momentum indicators the rsi relative strength index i'm almost a little bit worried that we're due for a bit of a correction here short term let's talk about so i would i guess you put those two things together and i would use that correction as a well, let's let's talk about that. That's really interesting because you know if you look at the last, and the question I wrote here was, what are the lessons that we need to learn from the last cycle? Because I remember when it got up to was it eighteen hundred and something back in was it thirteen, twelve, thirteen, somewhere around there. Anyway, last cycle. Yes. I think that's oh yeah, right. I mean you're you're going back now in, in, into two thousand and eleven, I think, where you're was seeing it? these kind of gold markets. Right. Okay. Okay. So, but are there any any lessons there? You know, you talked about a, a maybe a correction in the market, but what sort of correction? How big? Well, I think it's going to be small. I mean, two, three, four percent in gold would take a lot of steam off and give. You know, the equities do always react 
two, three, four times as much as, as that. But gold itself is a huge market. So two, three, four percent is five percent is a is a major correction in gold. Um, in my view, <laughs> short term anyway. Um, against that, you know, against that, if I'm a betting man right now, the equity markets, I mean, the question is, when are they going to crack? The only question in my mind is, when are you going to see another 20% down move in the equity markets? Because it's so overdue now. And um, in, in that type of a, a panic, get me out kind of panic, gold initially usually goes down a little bit first, which would provide the correction, right? So it's kind of setting itself up for that. Equity markets get hammered 20%, gold goes down five, and then boom, we're off to the races again. And this time I think gold goes through 1900 and, and, and 2000. Okay, it's, it's interesting. But the other thing that happens during these cycles is that gold producers start piling up cash and some of them do. They do. They are. They are doing that now. Absolutely. And some of them are doing some clever things with it. And some of them are destined probably to do some dumb things with that in terms of M&A consolidation type activity. It, does that does that make you nervous for the market, the equities market at all? Not yet. Um, yeah, I followed it a long time, and I generally have a pretty good sense for when there's nonsense going on. I, I see some nonsense right now going on in the developers and the, some of the drilling plays. But um, I, I actually think that the the cash flow companies are, are being quite dis disciplined. And and the, the management teams that are there now are, you know, they're these are the survivors if they're older and and if they're younger, they're they're all-stars and they, they've lived to a higher bar now they have much higher obligations with their boards and their shareholders and i can tell you the discipline's still there that's that's great well i i, I hope so because these uh, there's people's money at stake when they do um no i i think it's a very different than let's say the last time we had this type of market which was probably around 2004. right i liken it to 2004 um really silly things were going on with the majors then and and i don't think they are now lessons learned good protecting shareholders mm -hmm. money even better um peter fantastic lovely okay. catch up there i really enjoyed that um there's a lot there for you know lots of different people different types of investors so i appreciate your time uh, today what are your yeah and i you know i want to leave you with one one last thing i i mean given what's going on out there I really think if, if investors haven't acted on this whole gold or hedge thesis, they need to, to do so now. I 100% agree with you, and I hope people are listening to this. It's a big and important point. Don't be put off and at least investigate it and think about, you know, non-correlation in, in, in your portfolio for sure. Or go and speak to someone like I Scott. It, I think it'll be the most important thing you do this year. <laughs> okay. I do. Peter, thank you so much. Uh, we're coming up for the weekend. I hope you have a lovely one. Uh, and we'll speak to you again soon. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.